emoción. Bienvenidos a Café con Emoción Podcast. You are listening to Season 2 with your co-host, Xiomara Romero and Alejandra Acuña. Café con Emoción as a public service is neither a legal or mental health service or advice reference to any products or entities do not constitute an endorsement or recommendation. You may follow us on Instagram at Café con Emoción Podcast. It's my great pleasure to welcome Giselle Soler from Program for Torture Victims. In keeping with the theme of this episode, promoting a sense of safety, we invited her to talk about some of her experiences working with refugees and asylum seekers and some stories about how it is that she and her organization promotes a sense of safety. So Giselle, take it away. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. I want to touch on specifically how promoting a sense of safety for our refugees or asylum seekers um, really has to do with different elements, um, you know, creating a sense of safety within their own bodies, creating a sense of safety within their community, or even with their new home or their new environment. And I have a story that I think would illustrate this well. And this actually just happened earlier this week. Our clinic has a theater group, which is a little non-traditional in, in therapy, but I think it's wonderful and it works so well with our clients, our specific asylum seekers and, and refugees that participate in it. So we come together with this theater company called Tiada and our mental health professionals within our organization at PTV. Just this, we've been meeting for a few weeks now. We do a theater performance after a couple of months of gathering. And usually we're telling the stories of either our asylum seekers or in this round of, of this group, we are telling the stories of, of frontline workers. So we invited uh, attorneys, we invited other therapists and people who have been in the front lines working with asylum seekers during these past couple of years. And so it's been wonderful to hear their stories. And now we're going to create a performance that will illustrate, you know, the stories that they shared with us. But what I wanted to share about was specifically this past group that we had, where we have clients from all over the place. We have global citizens. A couple of them are actually Russian. And so they're significantly impacted by what's going on right now now in um, Russia and Ukraine, and two of them actually shared about their experience, how they were doing. And I just want to start by saying like this group, this theater group is very diverse. And to me, that's important in creating a sense of safety, especially when we're working with refugees and asylum seekers. We want them to feel seen by the diversity that, that exists and also coming together as just human beings. Our own clients are from, you know, Uganda, Cameroon, these Russian clients. We have our theater leader who's from Laos and another health, mental health professional who's from Malaysia. I'm, I'm My parents are from El Salvador, right? So we are a very diverse group of people um, to begin with, which I think is something where we should start with creating a safe space for individuals. And oh, wonderful. Yeah, yes. it's wonderful to have that. It really is. I think it's a good starting point for individuals to feel more connected as well. And I think our stories are so different and alike as well. So that's really important. During this uh, group, one of the ways we start our group is by doing an aloha circle, which is really sharing about where we're coming from and what we bring with us. And that could be a state of mind. It could be a person we're thinking about. It could be our ancestors, whatever it may be. In particular, we had a, one of the Russian clients just sharing very openly and very honestly and very raw about her emotions and you know where she was coming from in terms of being sad and angry and this grief and also fear because she still has family in Russia. And keep in mind, they're asylum seekers. So more than likely they've been 
persecuted by the same government that is currently in office. And so just that alone, her willingness to be able to share exactly where she was coming from that day and just verbalizing this anger and kind of rage she was feeling um, and not needing to hold back because she felt safe already in this group, in this environment. And what we did with that was really just contain that, you know, really empathize with her and provide understanding and, and be non-judgmental, right? We didn't even have to respond to it, but simply just by holding that space for her, she, that alone, I think was creating that opportunity for her to feel like it's okay to share where I am right now in this point in time. And then we moved into what was uh, our usual, our usual session, which is to do some exercises and usually led by our, our theater leader. One of the things that, that he started with was by having us share a childhood story. We do a lot of storytelling and one of them was a childhood story that brought us happy memory or peace or some type of emotion that was pleasant to us, which is basically resourcing. It was amazing. We each got to share a childhood story and this Russian client in particular, you know, shared a story about her and her mom. And as she was telling it, she was smiling and laughing, right? And what a transition just from when she checked into being able to tell the story, being able to us as a group receive it with empathy, with non-judgment, even those mirror neurons of us smiling and taking joy in her story and her being able to witness that I'm sure also has an impact. So, so that was part of it. And I thought that was, that was beautiful. And then the next exercise was doing physical phrases, which in theater is basically, you know, acting out a story in a sense and using gestures. And mind you, we're on Zoom, right? So we only have this small box um, with, in front of us that we get to act out in and create a physical phrase, whatever that was, whatever gestures we wanted to use. And this client in particular, she she actually stood up and used, you know, her whole space, her whole body, and you could see the emotions kind of moving through her, right? And, and and that's what we want in a therapeutic healing space is being able to have a way to move, you know, those emotions through the body and out of the body and be able to not allow those emotions to be stuck right within the body. And so just by doing these physical phrases and these gestures, theater, she was able to, you know, express that in a, in a different way um, that was nonverbal. And of course, we were all amazed and fascinated by it and, and, and thought it, it was incredible. And then as we check out, one of the things we do is the Mahalo circle, which is, um, you know, our way out and we express one thing we're grateful for and then one thing we're taking away with us. And so, you know, she shared about being grateful to just be there and be there honestly and be there with her full self and to be able to participate in something in the midst of chaos around her. And I think that's truly what demonstrates having that sense of safety where you can go from having these raw, strong emotions and feeling comfortable enough to be able to share that. And then moving through all the way to the point of being able to experience some peace and comfort. She did express saying she felt much more at peace. And she said, even if this is just a moment, it's a, a, a different moment than what I've been experiencing. Right. And so I think ultimately that's, that's what we want. We want to be able to provide a space where individuals can experience some comfort, some peace, even when the world around them may be chaotic. Right. And, and to provide that safety within 
a group like this where we're using, you know, non-traditional ways to, to heal is, is very powerful. And, um, and I think it's only possible because of these things of having, you know, a div- diverse community to, to surround yourself with having consent to say, I want to participate in this. And this is something that is helpful to me. They're distrusting of their government in their home country. So they need to be able to trust, you know, the individuals they're working with a group of people that are empathetic, that are non-judgmental and recognizing that we want them to stay within their window of tolerance, right? We don't want them to experience this hypo or hyper arousal during our time together and observe signs of that. So we can come back to their window of tolerance and then being able to acknowledge their strengths, right? So many of our group members also gave her so many compliments for her movements because they were very beautiful as well. And so just acknowledging their strengths and her strength and being able to show up, even though it was hard for her. That's just one story I feel like really describes some of that sense of safety that we as providers can provide to our clients and how important that is, especially with refugees and asylum seekers who have so many reasons to not trust government officials to not trust any person in authority, to not trust their community, to not even feel trust within their own bodies. And so we really have to be mindful of all these elements when we're working with um, refugees and asylum seekers. I love that story. Thank you so much, Giselle. That's amazing. And I love the simplicity and the profundity of it. On the face of it, it's it's all on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And these are v- very simple activities and directions. And at the same time, I loved how you described what was happening, some of the theoretical rationale behind everything, like the resourcing part mm-hmm. and the window of tolerance. I love storytelling because I feel like it's instructive, it's inspiring, it's it's entertaining, it's, mm-hmm. it's everything. That was that was a really beautiful story. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I... I Honestly, I, I came out of that session feeling so like amazed by what happened. You know, I, I felt like I had myself had been carrying all this news, right? And I had also been feeling so much grief about it. Um, but just to witness that and seeing a client kind of transform that pain in this beautiful kind of physical expression, I thought it was it was amazing. It was healing for me, even I would say. Oh my gosh. I relate to that so much. Giselle. There are days when I end the day and I feel like, man, I was a good social worker today. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me feel very proud of my professional identity. And I, I resonate with what you just said because you referred someone to me and I was able to interview them. And I had that same feeling at the end of my interview when I said, is there anything else you'd like to share with me about your story? She said in Spanish, I have hope for the future. I want to make my own hacerlo mío, make my own. And I said, well, what does that mean to you? And she said, have my own home here. Mm. And it just inspired me that, you know, here's a 17 year old young woman fleeing her country and situations. And she's got this incredible hope and desire. I felt like you felt it made me feel like in the midst of chaos and tragedy in the world, it's so beautiful that we can still hope. And it makes me really grateful to be part of that moment with her in, in my own life and resonates that the work that we do is so awe-inspiring. I know sometimes at parties when people say like, oh, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a social worker. I'm a mental health professional. They look at you like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine me telling them I work for a program for torture. <laughs> 
No, and I'm so glad that you graciously shared that story. It's like, there's so many moments of beauty and hope and healing and inspiration. And that it's not just one way, it's two ways. Like we end up going home with such a sense of meaning and satisfaction and inspiration as well. Definitely. Yes. And I actually, I've been specifically working with asylum seekers now more recently. And so that's newer for me to only work with asylum seekers, but I have never felt so kind of rejuvenated in my work or just like inspired in my work as much as I have with, with these individuals. Um, and the, and the reality is so many asylum seekers come from these really full lives in their countries and very amazing strengths. Right. And, and even the fact that they've made it here demonstrates the strengths they have. Right. And so being able to just be a part of their journey in making a new life in this country, like I feel like honored to be able to do that with them and be a part of that, a small part of it. But yes, it's, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm, I'm always inspired by them. Beautiful. Giselle, you mentioned that you have one more story for us about that illustrates the theme sense of safety. Yes. This other story is a little briefer, but I mean, I think um, one of the reasons, right. Uh, asylum seekers and refugees seek refuge in another country is because they've been, you know, tortured or persecuted in their home countries. And a lot of the times they've experienced part of the tortures, physical violations, right? Whether it be rape or just physical assault, you know, so another client I've I've worked with this Ugandan client escaped Uganda and he, I started working with him and he actually was awaiting his first interview with USCIS. And the way it works is that usually this can happen within a matter of months or it can happen within a matter of years, depends where you are in the line. It's there's a whole lot of political things behind that. But he was waiting a few months and he was just very in a lot of distress. There was like these very visible like PTSD symptoms that were apparent, you know, throughout our time working together. And we only worked together for about two months before he actually had his USCIS interview. And we, he just didn't know the outcome of it. Right. And I think a lot of what maintains the PTSD for our clients is just that that uncertainty and that fear of perhaps being denied and having to return to the same circumstances that they were in, right? The circumstances they had escaped. It was every very evident that he was in that kind of fight, flight response constantly. And so with him, I used a very embodied, somatic work with him and, and just teaching him about the ways to regulate his nervous system and help him to feel more safe within his own body. And so we did a lot of different skills and it was just really interesting how when we, when we, when I was teaching him some of these skills, there were some things that he mentioned like, oh, that's something my, my mom would tell me to do, or, oh, that's something that, that, um, you know, I, I would, I would tell my kids to do. Right. And, um, and so when I think about this and I'm using this, um, model, it's a community, community resiliency model that I'm kind of basing a lot of these skills off of. And I think about it and how it's this model that's been created here in the U S and although it's a very global model and it's very, um, culturally sensitive, but I think about how just we have these innate skills, right? And we maybe don't know the science behind why they work or why we're doing them. Um, But to be able to help individuals kind of tap into their innate skills and help them recognize and understand why these things are helpful, maybe from a scientific perspective. And in this case, this client um, works in the medical field. So it was, I think, very 
intriguing for him to understand the, the science behind it. Um, but um, it, it really helped him to feel a more sense of safety within his own body. And ultimately, what really, you know, helped him was once he got his USCIS interview, and he was approved actually to, to, to stay in the US. And that was a huge relief, right? So even that, right, we're just walking with them until they can reach that point of fully feeling, you know, safe, because he's no longer threatened to have to return to his home country. So there's parts we do, and we help and we work with, but ultimately, there's bigger things that, that we don't have control over, but what we can do is help them until they get to that point, until they reach that point. Another beautiful story, Giselle. (laughs) I loved what you said. It really sparked something in me because I'm super, super interested in the ways that our ancestors described illness, but how to treat illness, uh, specifically trauma, because trauma has been with us since time immemorial. Mm -hmm. Like our ancestors going back 50,000 years, they all dealt with trauma and they all figured out ways to cope or to recover from trauma. Mm -hmm. And I love that you said that you were teaching him things from the, the Crims uh, model. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Oh yeah, this is something we do in my country or in my culture and how I feel like science and the traditions of our ancestors are kind of meeting in the middle. I love doing lemon baridas, sweeps of the body with the lemon. And I found an article recently talking about self brushing, like with a a small wooden brush and how it creates this being in tune with your body and how, when you're in tune with your body or aware of your body, what happens is it increases interoception, which it increases our ability to be aware of our needs and to respond to them. We're tired. And so we need rest or we're thirsty. And so we need water and so forth. And so I just thought, oh, isn't it so interesting? You know, scientists are validating finally, like when you do the self-brushing, you're connected to your body more and is, are able to respond more in an attuned way to your own body's needs. And our ancestors have been doing that with barridas and limpias. I don't think you mentioned the exact activity that you did. Is that something you can share with us? Yeah. So actually what we were going through when he was pointing that out was a lot of the, what we call the help now skills. Um, And these are just like a set of like 10 different skills that um, you can use, especially like in the immediate moment when you're noticing you're dysregulated. And it was simple things. They're very simple things. Like for example, just taking a drink of water or pressing your hands against the wall and just kind of of, you know, using that energy to, to press against the wall. It could be like identifying six colors that you see around you. So you're able to kind of come back to the present moment. It's really, it, most of the help now skills are really just sensing into your body, like in being, using your senses to be in the present moment. Some of the things that he mentioned was like, you know, yeah, I always, my mom would give me a cup of water when I was like very upset and told me drink water, you know? And, and he was like, I never thought it, there was any like scientific or, you know, un- other understanding for it. Other other than like, she just wanted me to like, stop talking and, and drink water. You know, that was an example of it. And there were a few other things as well. You know, I, we, we talked about the resourcing as well. Right. And one of those is, you know, imagine a place that brings you like peace and joy and whatnot, you know, and, and um, he said that he would do that with his kids, right. Having them imagine. And, and he was like kind of storyteller for them. And he was teaching his kids resourcing essentially by doing that. Right. And so that's another, you know, example of where he felt very connected to this and, and felt like, 
like, okay, like this is something I also would want to teach my children as well. These other exercises, because I can see how they're so helpful for me and that they could be helpful for my kids as well. Awesome. Thank you. I'm wondering for our listeners, what are all the different opportunities or possibilities for contributing or helping or supporting. I feel like if there's something that we can do, it makes me feel less helpless and powerless. It feels, makes me feel more engaged. And so I'm just curious for our listeners, um, Giselle, what are some things that they can do to contribute, to support, and to help your organization or the the refugees and asylum seekers that you work with? That's great. And I really I, I know I'm I'm one of those. I like to be able to figure out how to help when when things are going down. And I think that's actually what introduced me to Refugee Health Alliance. Um, was when I, there was the big the U.S. border crisis, um, and there we were there was a, a big influx of asylum seekers, and and I actually went and volunteered with them in in Tijuana. That introduced me to just the great need there is right to to working with asylum seekers. And so um, that's one organization I would recommend is Refugee Health Alliance. They work on the ground in Tijuana, um, but you also there are, there's also opportunities to work remotely with them. Some things that they use as part of the client's case in order to help them cross the border is very brief mental health letters or reports that are submitted on their behalf. And you can do this like over the phone with the client or, or by video if that's accessible to them. So I would really recommend checking out Refugee Health Alliance for that opportunity. I know they could use the volunteers. Another one that's uh, more local and you're working with individuals who are in and you know, kind of like the LA area is um, Physicians for Human Rights, and they actually offer trainings as well. So you can, if you have no experience in immigration evaluations, um, they would uh, be able to provide those trainings, um, and you can be on their kind of network. So that's another opportunity as well. Some other ways, like if you're not wanting to do, and I know this work is, is not easy, right? And and like like we've mentioned, obviously, they individuals come with a lot of trauma, but also like we've mentioned, it's very inspiring and, and amazing to work with refugees and asylum seekers. If you're, you know, not wanting to work in that realm, you know, there's also opportunities like to, to be an interpreter or to volunteer your time. Like for example, at Program for Torture Victims, we take volunteers um, for different roles. Um, sometimes it may be like we get a donation for a few things. And so we just need them to get delivered to a family that's in need, right? We've gotten donations of like mattresses and um, and bikes for kids and things like that. And we just need someone to deliver it to, to a family. Um, for the holidays, we usually do gift giving as well. And so that's a good time for us to use the, the help of our volunteers we're working on. And I hope someday we can truly establish this at PTV, but something like a sponsor of family kind of situation where we actually create these support systems, right, with individuals who who are living in the U.S. or have been here at least longer and can provide that kind of emotional and just basic kind of support. So that's something, you know, to be to be continued, hopefully in the future, we can have more information around that. But I would also recommend, you know, I mentioned quite a few that are local to like LA area or, you know, the border, there's actually organizations for survivors of torture all across the US. And so just check with your local organizations and see if there's any survivors of torture organizations in your area, because oftentimes they can use volunteers or even interpreters, like you don't even have to be like a certified interpreter. For example, at PTV, we provide some basic training so that you can do interpretation for mental health services. Awesome. I love it. And if they wanted to volunteer with PTV, is there a particular email or phone number that would be 
good to reach out to? Yes. I mean, I definitely would be happy to give out my email. You can uh, reach me at gsoler, S-O-L-E-R at ptbla.org. And I can get you connected with our volunteer coordinator. And if you go to our website as well for Program for Torture Victims LA, you can uh, find information there if you want to connect directly with our volunteer coordinator. Great. Thank you, Giselle. And thank you, Alejandra. And if that's okay, just one last more of a personal question. I mean, you do such amazing work and we're so glad that, you know, you're doing this, this work out in our community. And I'm just curious, you know, how do you take care of yourself and those that want to go into this work that may be unsure and say, you know, I, I, I'd love to do this kind of work, but I know it is difficult work to do. What are some of the things that, that you do to self-care? Uh, that's such a great question. And I think it needs to be just part of what it's part of the work, right? To, to have the self-care is part of the work because it's not sustainable. Otherwise, I, I want to suggest, you know, one of the things that is helpful for me is having a good support system. And this is at work, right? Having a very supportive environment, having individuals who understand the work and are passionate about the work, but also know how to be there for one another when it gets hard, right? And so being able to consult with others, being able to laugh with others, you know, I think our team, it, it's surprising how much we laugh during our, our, our get togethers, our team meetings, right? You would think because we're doing difficult work, but we actually, we need that. We need the opportunities to be able to just unwind and, 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 and let go of, of that heaviness. And so that starting with that, obviously my own personal support network, right. Just having uh, my family, my friends who I connect with regularly. And then my own personal ways um, that I kind of replenish myself. I, I, I do yoga regularly. I, I know there's times I, I need to get on the mat and just cry it out if I need to. Right. And so that's, it's, I need to also be doing the same things my clients are doing. I need to move my body and do things that help me to replenish. Also, you know, my, my faith is an important part of, of who I am. And so I use prayer. I use times of meditation. I also go out into nature and, and use that as um, an opportunity to kind of ground myself as well. And I think there does need to be a lot of different ways that you, you know, you ground yourself and ultimately, right, self care is unique to each person. But I think ensuring that you have self care strategies in place throughout your work is so important and not waiting until you're feeling burnt out or not waiting until you're you know, exhausted and, and can't do anything, right? It's about incorporating that day to day. And I'm, I'm not great at it, but I try and I do my, my best to, to be able to do that because I know I am my best self with my clients when I am actively, you know, supporting myself. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. And just reminding us that, you know, it is part of the work. It's not separate. It's something that you've incorporated into the work and something you're asking your clients to do, but also that we can't give our best selves unless we're taking care of ourselves as well. Yes. Thank yes. you for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. I mean, you, you've given us so many tips and, and through those stories and the storytelling and some of your experiences, so many that our listeners are getting today about establishing that sense of safety, the importance of being amongst different cultures, right? Creating that safety, holding space judgmentally, 
you know, moving, resourcing, uh, storytelling, connecting to our happy memories, right? You know, part of the trauma work is processing a lot of difficult experiences, but how important it is to balance that out with the resourcing, exercising, neural connect- connectivity, right? That that eye contact and, and when our stories are heard, the healing that happens with it. Talked about gratitude, how important that is to to connect to that gratitude to, you know, as, as we're healing, that that's such an important piece. And then I really like that part where you said you provide a space of comfort and peace, even when the world around us may not feel safe at times. Right. So it's really, you know, striving for that. How do we create that? And um, I'd love how you highlighted through your stories, um, many ways that that can be done in the body, in the mind, in the space, physical space that we're in and then acknowledging our strengths we all have these strengths and tapping into our innate skills that help us feel a sense of safety so I just thank you so much for sharing all those tools and techniques and thank you Alejandra thank you both for really sharing this with our our listeners thank you thank you so much for the opportunity to to share about this and um and to also just share with the world what it looks like and how how beautiful this healing work can can really be thank you Café, café, café.